Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. We have encounters with people all day, every day. Some good, some not so good. But we have encounters with people every day. You go to the store, you have a good experience. You go to a restaurant, you have a bad experience. You go to a place that has good food, you have bad service. I mean, we have encounters with people all the time. And sometimes those encounters are just not very good, are they? I mean, haven't you ever had one of those times where you just, you, you, you had this bad experience with somebody and you walked away from him and you're just grumbling inside? I mean, inside your spirit, you're just like, oh, you, you boy, they'll get theirs. You ever been there? Sure you have. Yeah. You know why? Wherever two or more are gathered, you got problems. I mean, just by our nature, we just know how to be in conflict in our life. It just seems to be a natural part of life. I think, I think our problem is not avoiding conflict. Our problem is just mismanaging it in our encounters. And so what happens is, I think at times, we grow in our, because of our encounters, we grow in this, in, in inwardly with this sense of uh, skepticism and cynicism. Almost to the degree that we expect things not to be right. We, are, we know somebody's going to let us down. We know somebody's going to break our heart. We know somebody's going to betray us. We know that when we wait on the cable guy, he's not going to be there between 3 and 5. I mean, we know those things, right? I mean, we get it. We take our car to be serviced. We know something else is broken other than what we know. We got that, right? I mean, you just, you just come to expect that. I, I, I was looking around preparing for today's teaching and for this teaching time and I found this email a guy sent me that I put in my Evernote file a couple of years ago and it it says this that here are some skeptical words of wisdom all right if you think nobody cares about you try missing three car payments they care change is inevitable except from vending machines isn't that true I mean you don't really expect it to come back to you you know if you put a five in there it ain't coming back I mean you just bought a five dollar coke right for every action, there's an equal and opposite criticism. I mean, isn't that true? If you're doing anything, somebody's going to find fault with you. Like, there's already somebody today who's preparing to send me an email to say, you know, Chuck, you just need, don't need to wear black on Sunday morning. Okay, got it, right? I mean, it's just, here, here's one of my favorites is this. Nobody is listening until you make a mistake. And all of a sudden, they hear. All right? Monday is an awful way to spend one-seventh of your life. Oh, yeah, thank you for that. A clear conscience is usually the sign of a bad memory. Some of y'all know who I'm talking about. 42.7% of all statistics are made up on the spot. And maybe my favorite, if at first you don't succeed, then skydiving isn't for you. I mean, seriously, we have become a people who are by our nature skeptical and I want you to take your Bibles, if you have them, and find the Gospel of John, the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we're going to camp out there for a little bit in the first chapter. Um, I find this story in today's teaching to be pretty amazing because you don't hear it taught on a whole lot, but it is, uh, it's, it's captivating in the sense of what happens when Jesus encounters a skeptic. How, how does a skeptic meet with Jesus? Like, I have people that'll sit in my office sometimes, they'll be in the middle of a counseling session, and um, you can tell, man, this, they're just not right. They, they are mad at the world. They're ticked off at their spouse. Something's wrong. I deserve better. You know, I never thought that I'd be this guy. I mean, you, just, you hear all that, and then you kind of lay out, man, let's, let's get your relationship with, with God right, 
and then we can have an opportunity to move on. And, and then some folks will say, well, you know what? I tried church when I was a kid. It's not for me. I hear this a lot. You know what? I'm just not a religious person. Could I just say to you, good for you. Don't start now. Because when Jesus encounters this skeptic, he doesn't say, you know what you need to do is go to church. He doesn't say, hey man, listen, let me give you a defense for why you ought to have this doctrine. What Jesus does is encounters him that totally disarms the skeptic. I want you to take a look. First, we're going to start with the very first verse in John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word. All right, now, if, if you're reading and you're wondering, okay, who is the Word? What is the Word? What does that mean? In the beginning was the Word. Read it like this. In the beginning, there was Jesus. Are you with me? Don't miss this, because if you miss this, you're going to miss the power of the, of, of the encounter, all right? Because this is fundamental to the encounter that this dude has, that the skeptic has. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, was with God. And the Word, Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now you say, okay, Chuck, that is just fundamentally baffling. Okay, now watch this. Let me simplify it. From the moment that there was ever time, from before, I love it when little kids say, yeah, well, who made God? Isn't that a great question? You say, well, is there anything God didn't make? Well, you know, you can't find that, right? And then you look at it and you say, well, then some kid, I says, who made God? I mean, Miss Barbara, you ever heard that? Who made God? Okay, you ready for the answer? I don't know. But here's what I do know. In the beginning, whenever that was, however that was, Jesus was right there. And it doesn't just say he was with God. It says he is God. So God, in the beginning, was right there. Now, skip all the way down to verse 43, and we're going to see what happens with the encounter in the skeptic. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, let me just stop right there and let me just paint this picture. Jesus has begun his earthly ministry and he's calling the people that's going to be closest to him, the disciples, to come be part of his work, right? I mean, he looks at them and he says, come follow me. Now, this is, again, fundamental to understanding. Jesus began his ministry on earth as a rabbi. When a rabbi would go and look at a young Jewish boy and say, come follow me, this was the biggest deal. It was like being drafted in the NFL straight out of fourth grade, right? It's like, come follow me. You can do what I do. You walk with me. You live with me. You you breathe with me. You eat with me. We're going to do life together. Come on. And by the way, a rabbi would only pick the very best of the best student. And a student would have gone and learned Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And if you were the best of the best, you went and learned the rest of the Old Testament. But if you weren't, if you were just like an average student or a poor student, then you went and did daddy's job. You didn't, you didn't go on, right? Well, when Jesus came and picked his boys, he picked people like, well, a tax collector who was a thief. He picked fishermen. So what we know is Jesus picked normal people to go do extraordinary things. Now, let me just kind of state the obvious. I'm speaking here with a family full of faith, but also a family full of normal people that Jesus encountered and calls you just like he does these people. So he says to Philip, come on, let's go change the world. This is going to be awesome. Philip says, I'm all in. And then look what happens. 
Philip says to Nathaniel, we found him. We found the one that Moses wrote about all the way back in the Old Testament. The, the class you, we got a D in. We found him. Okay? And Nathaniel said in verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now watch this. You're going to miss how cool this encounter is. Philip, who Jesus calls, says, yeah, I'm all in. Let's go. And Philip goes to Nathanael and says, come on. This is the one. This is the Messiah. He's come to take our people and move them out of captivity, out of slavery, and he's going to reign. This is the man. And Nathanael says, he came from where? He, he came from Nazareth? That podunk village? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. I mean, come on. There's no way he's educated. There's no pedigree there. There's no money there. He can't come be a king. I mean, he has this immediate prejudice against nothing good can come from there. What are you thinking, Philip? Come on, hello, you got out of V8, come on. But watch what happens. Jesus says, when he looks at Nathaniel, he says, wow, there's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, if you were a good Jew at that time, if you were an Israelite, you know what you thought of? Oh, wait a minute. I'm thinking of Jacob. My mind is clicking. I'm thinking, man, Jacob, he was full of deceit. This guy was not cool until God got a hold of him and the clock started ticking. And all of a sudden, Jacob had this time where the Bible says he wrestled in his relationship with God and the clock kept ticking. And on and on, the clock kept ticking. And Jacob is wrestling with God in his dream. And there's angels going up and down ladders between heaven and earth. And Jacob wakes up and he says, man, the clock stopped. And I need the God I just encountered. And at that moment, God looked at him and said, Hey, bud, I got a new name for you. We're going to call you Israel. And listen to what else he says. Nathaniel replied, Well, how do you know me? And Jesus said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things done than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly. Now, when Jesus breaks out the truly, truly, you know what he's really saying? This is a big stinking deal. Don't miss this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What Jesus is saying to Nathaniel is this. Bud, listen. I know your ancestors were taught to sit under the fig tree, which is a representation of peace and prosperity and joy. And I saw you there. I know what's ahead for you. I know what's good for you. And I am meeting you right now so that your whole life could change and everything could be new in your life. And this passage starts off with Jesus calling to Philip. And John tells us about Philip bringing Nathaniel. And, and some of us here this morning are just like Nathaniel. We're just like Nathaniel. The Bible's a good thing, Chuck, maybe even a holy thing. But come on, Chuck, it's just a little old-fashioned, isn't it? I mean, I know Jesus is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, you know, one of those figures that we know to be historically true. But come on, isn't that a little old-fashioned? 
I mean, today we see this skeptic, Nathaniel, and he, he's like some of us. I mean, you know what I've discovered? That in every encounter Jesus had in Scripture, it gives me a picture of the encounter he wants to have with me and he wants to have with you. Because there are some of us sitting here today that we're still skeptics. Some of you are saying, yeah, but you know what, Chuck? I've been a Christian for 42 years, and you know what? You're living like a skeptic. Nothing really good can happen. I mean, this world, it's going to fall apart. I mean, this isn't good. I mean, in and through an understanding of how Jesus, how he encountered people, we see how Jesus accomplished a salvation in our place that we could never have achieved ourselves. I mean, in every encounter, what we see is that Jesus did something for us that we couldn't do for us. Have you ever had an encounter with somebody that when they, were, when they left you, you were just better because you were with them? I mean, I have a handful of people that in my life that when I, when I have left being with them, I'm encouraged, I'm filled, I'm ready to go. I feel better about life. Those are very rare, aren't they? But you see, here's the good thing. Jesus never misses an appointment with you, and you never leave disappointed. This week I had a lunch appointment, and, and my lunch appointment had messed up on the calendar, and so I sat there, and I called and said, hey, man, I thought we had a lunch today. Oh, man, I missed it. I'm sorry. That's no big deal, but here's the good news. Not one time has Jesus missed an appointment with you. The question I would ask me and you is this. When did you schedule one? When did you decide to meet him? Nathaniel had one and it changed his life. I mean, this moves us from seeing Jesus as this historical figure into this life-changing encounter as Redeemer, as Savior. I mean, Nathaniel was passionate about Israel. Israelites, their deep longing for meaning and worth came from their national identity, and, and Jesus comes, and Nathaniel wants him to be a king with a crown and a scepter, and he wants all of the crowds to follow, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to show you something that's going to blow your mind. This is a different kind of kingdom. This is a different way of life. I mean, Nathaniel the skeptic is probably thinking right now, wait a minute, this, how is this going to help my life become more significant? Nathaniel's question, I think, is smoke and mirrors, just like some of ours. He didn't really want an answer, and Philip didn't even bother to answer because he knew the deeper heart questions that was really bugging Nathaniel. Philip said, just come and see. Come and see Jesus and encounter him for, the self, for yourself, and you will get the answers you really want. I mean, some of us, the reason we never tell our neighbors about Jesus, some of us, the reason we never tell our coworkers about Jesus, we don't know what to say. You know what Philip said? I, I don't think I've got the answer, but I know who does. Come meet him. J just come and see. It's going to blow your mind. Come, come and see. And he does. And Jesus first disarms the skeptic. I mean, the encounter between Jesus and Nathaniel sounds a little odd. We get the sense that Jesus is somehow complimenting Nathaniel, but Nathaniel's response to Jesus' words are a little overdone. I mean, when you read it for the first time, you might think, what in the world is going on here? Jesus saw Nathaniel and said two things. First, he looks at Nathaniel and calls him a true Israelite in whom there is no guile, no deceit. And second, he told Nathaniel that he sees him sitting underneath a fig tree. Now, if you're sitting here in Sugar Hill, Georgia today, and you're thinking, okay, neither of those are applicable to me. Oh, but they are. What Jesus is saying to Nathaniel is this. I know your deepest heart's desire. Way down in the crevice where nobody else knows in the crevices of your soul, I know your heart's desire. 
and I want to meet you right there. Some of you here today, and you've got deep, dark secrets you've held from everybody and everyone, and everybody thinks you've got your life together. When you go home, though, you're a mess, and Jesus knows in that deep, dark place, I'll meet you right there if you'll let me. I'll have an encounter right there in your broken relationship if you'll let me. I'll meet you in the middle of your addiction if you'll let me. I'll meet you in your messed up family if you'll let me. I'll meet you in your loneliness if you'll let me. He's saying to Nathaniel, I know the deepest, darkest, most sincere part of your heart, and I want to meet you there because I see it. But then the second thing he says, and I want you to sit with me under a fig tree so that your life might be filled with, watch this, peace. That your life might be filled with peace. The first thing Jesus said to his disciples after his resurrection, when he walked through that closed door and he looked at them, and you know what he said? Peace be with you. You know what Jesus wants to give you when you have an encounter with him? He wants to see you at your spot of greatest need and bring you peace. Now, here's, here's the challenge. He, he, he never once looked at Nathaniel and he said, I'll tell you what, buddy, you change your attitude and I'll meet you. Not one time did he say, I'll tell you what, Nathaniel, you dress some other way and I'll meet you. Not one time did he say, I'll tell you what, Nathaniel, you give up that addiction and I meet you. Jesus looked at Nathaniel just like he looks at us and he says, at whatever your greatest need is, whatever your greatest desire is, let me meet you there and bring you peace. What a beautiful picture. I mean, on the, on the surface, Jesus said, you're faithful. On another level, the statement is a play on words going back to Jacob. Jacob was a man whom there was lots of guile. There was, there was a lot of falsehood. You go all the way back to Genesis and you read his story. J Jacob started out as a trickster until he encountered and wrestled with God. And then his perspective changed and he turned his life around and God named him Israel. So there was a subtle playfulness when Jesus called Nathaniel a true Israelite in whom there's no guile. And the fig tree then being a place of rest and comfort. By the way, you can read about that in Zechariah 3, verse 10. You can read about it in Micah chapter 4, verse 5, where throughout the Old Testament, the picture of the fig tree is this. Watch. Are you ready? Do this with me. Just do this with me, okay? I know somebody thinks this is a little odd, right? Kind of sit back in your chair. Go ahead and put your chair back, all right? Just watch this. On three, I just want to take you a deep breath. You ready? One, two, three. One more time. what Jesus says to Nathaniel is, I want to meet you at your greatest need and sit back and take a deep breath and know I am God. And I've got you. You're my boy. Come on, let's change the world. And I see that. And you see, Jesus takes these literary images to convey his understanding of Nathan's deep identification and need and desire and hope. Jesus is really saying, I know what's on your heart. I know you've been praying. I know you want God to restore you. If I were him, I mean, I think I would have expected a sales pitch. I mean, nine out of ten dentists prefer this. That's what I would have expected. You know, I would have expected some actor that comes on, you know, early morning television to tell me that I needed to use that attorney because he'll get me more money. That's what I would have expected. But Jesus just says, no. I see you at your deepest need. I'll meet you. Come on, let's change the world. I mean, it's, it's that kind of disarming encounter that really changes our world, our physical bodies, our relationships. They mean more than our personal gratification. As people loved by God himself, we're cherished and loved and adored. And watch this. Jesus wants to dote on us. 
I posted on Facebook a few days ago uh, the ultrasound of my, uh, my granddaughter who's going to be here in a few weeks. And um, I, I got so excited because ultrasounds come so far. Like when, when my kids were born, you had to look at it and say, that's what? I mean, it was just kind of a blob, and you just trusted some doctor to say, oh, this is that. You know, I'd go, oh, yeah, I say, you had no clue, right? But I could see her face. I mean, her face. There was a picture of my granddaughter's face and her cheeks are so chubby so I went and found a baby picture of me and I looked at that picture and by myself I sat there and I wept and I thought to myself I see me in her I can't wait to buy all kind of little pink things again I can't wait to hold her and let her puke on my shoulder. I can't wait to put her in a stroller and go to the playground. I can't wait to teach her how to put a worm on a hook. I cannot wait to sing silly songs with her. I can't wait to play with her. Every morning when you awaken, God says, oh, my child, I can't wait to play with you today. Come on. Let's have an encounter that changes you and all those around you. This Christmas, when that little girl is there, it'll be different at our house, won't it? Because it won't matter what anybody gives me. I'm going to be in my chair with that little girl, and I'm just going to be captivated by her and that's how your heavenly father dotes on you and then some he's captivated I heard a story of a guy who uh, who went and spoke at a conference and like me I mean there are some days I walk off this platform and I'm like God that was fun that was so much fun and you know, in, tr in truth, there's some days I walk off this stage and I think, golly, Chuck, you are awful. I can't believe they let you do this. I mean, that's just truthful. I mean, there are days that you just walk off a of year and, I mean, Ron's heard me say it, where just, just, man, I just stunk today. And this guy had one of those where he felt like, man, I just laid an egg and I had these thousands of people and he, he got on a plane, he's a little dejected, and he did what a lot of us do sometimes. He closed his Bible up and he said, all right, God, I just need a word from you. And he just said, wherever I open up, I'm just going to read that. So he opened up his Bible, and sure enough, there was Psalm 23. And he's like, great. Something I've already taught on, preached on, every funeral I've ever done, I've used. I mean, come on. I know it by heart. And he said, fine, God, I'll just start reading it. And he started reading this, and it, here's what he read. He said, the Lord, and stopped. Wait a minute. He, he's still my Lord. And then he read, the Lord is, and he stopped. And then he read, the Lord is my shepherd. And tears welled up in his eyes, and he thought, you know what? It's not about what I did. It's what he does through me. Let me tell you something, my friend. Listen, whatever you lay an egg at tomorrow, the Lord is your shepherd, and he is for you. Longing to dote on you and say, come on, 
let's go change the world. But Jesus also promised Nathaniel a greater insight. I mean, Jesus didn't promise to restore Israel. He promised to open up the heavens and show the inner workings of creation. I mean, Jesus looked at this, the image of angels ascending and descending comes from the vision of Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28. And there, God promised that Jacob would be the father of a great nation. And through that image, Jesus lets Nathaniel know of his plans. But it wouldn't be the kind of nation that Nathaniel expected. Jesus was, in effect, saying, I am bigger than you ever imagined. I'm more powerful than you could ever comprehend. And I love you more than you could ever get. Most of us have been to the play, read the book, or seen the movie about Les Mis, right? How many of you have seen Les Mis? Yeah. You know, the story that happens in, in this story is, is Jean Valjean, the, the, the convict, he's been released from prison, and everywhere he goes, he has to show his papers, and finally he, he finds hope and peace in, this, in the place of this priest's home, and then he steals the candlesticks and the silverware from the priest, and he runs away, and the police catch him, and they bring him back to the priest, and the priest says, wait a minute, those were gifts. I gave those to them. He didn't steal those. I gave them to him. And so John Valjean is wrestling with, do I kill the priest, or, or does he really mean it? And the priest looks at him, and he says, now listen, take this lesson. Take the grace in this encounter that I've just had with you, and go let that grace extend so that you know, go make a better life. Go succeed in the power of Christ. Receive forgiveness and receive wholeness, and he goes on, and for the rest of his life while he's being hunted down, Jean Valjean tries to live this just and noble life while this merciless inspector hunts for him. And you know what happens? Just like me and you, Valjean was a skeptic. How could anybody love me like that and give me something I don't deserve? How could anybody look at me and say, just take it, it's my gift. You think you stole it, but I gave it to you. Go have a fresh start. Go draw a line in the sand. Forget your past. Find forgiveness in Christ through it and move forward. And he's so touched that he responds in faith. And throughout that, it's this picture of how God carries him through this unexpectedly successful, hard circumstance in his life. Listen to this very cool news. Listen to me. The gospel of Jesus is for cynics and skeptics like me and you. And the essence of what makes Christianity, the essence of being a Christ follower, different from every other faith system, every other person, every other religion, says if you want to find God, every other religion says if you want to find God, the answers to life's deepest questions or to improve your life, you have to do something. And then Jesus comes and turns the world right side up and says the exact opposite. He came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And Jesus says that he'll always be infinitely more than anything we're seeking. And he'll see straight through our soul to our point of greatest need. Reach out with nail-pierced hands and say, come on, I love you. You say, Chuck, I need that today. Then according to the Bible, it's this simple. It says if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, he will hear you answer you and save you whatever you're dreaming whatever your desires are whatever you're searching for you'll discover something much greater in Nazareth Jesus crucified risen and coming again for you and all you have to do is say Lord I need you I accept you 
and I know that you love me with an extravagant love. I pray that's your prayer today. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you and we praise you that in this day, some of us have become critics. Some of us have been skeptics. Some of us have nothing we believe in. And some of us have forgotten what we believe in. Lord, today, I pray we'd meet you and have an encounter that would radically change our life. And we would find joy and peace and contentment in you and you alone. And that we might cry out to you with this simple prayer. Lord, please forgive me. Be my Lord. I accept you dying for me and raising from the dead as payment for my sin. And I want to live for you. I want to turn around, make a U-turn of my life and live for you the rest of my days. And if that's your prayer this day, let him know. Just say, count me in. That's me.